0: Uh, if, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to be uh, reading in Luke chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. If you don't have them with you, uh, in the ch- seat backs, there's some Bibles. You can uh, sure grab a hold of one and open her up. So, Luke chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime, when an an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to the disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you've spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, And what you've spoken in the ear and inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more they can do to you. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Father God, I want to ask you, please, that you send your Holy Spirit. Let it fill this place and open our hearts and fill our pastor that he may explain and Show us your way and your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Everything feels a little different up here right now. (laughs) I hope you guys will come. We will have an epic VBS this next week. and I cannot believe the decorations. Pretty... <clears throat> that lion is awesome. off the chain. <laughs> so I'm thinking about—I um, don't know if—is if, he for sale when it's over? <laughs> I might want a few of those. So anyway, it's going to be an epic, epically good time. And it's interesting because this morning we're going to be talking about not being afraid, and it happens to be on a Sunday right before we have VBS wherein there's a study in the life of Daniel, which is, in essence, a study about how not to be afraid. And if you paid attention as we were worshiping, and the kids that are doing worship for us are are doing an epic job as well, every one of the songs, everything that they picked, everything they put together, comes straight out of the scripture that we're talking about and seeing you know god orchestrating and putting all the pieces together oftentimes throughout the word of god god gives us this challenge he challenges us not to be afraid and he does it enough times that you have no shortage of verses to go to right pretty much if you uh, you could probably play bible roulette right now and find a verse about don't be afraid everybody know what bible roulette is in case you don't, well, later on we'll give demonstrations so you can <laughs> know how to do Bible roulette. But in this chapter, three times, <clears throat> Jesus is going to say this. In verse 4 he says, I tell you my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that have nothing more that they can do. Verse 7 he says, why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. <clears throat> fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows verse 11 he says when you bring when they bring you before the synagogues rulers and authorities don't be anxious don't worry or don't be afraid about how you will defend yourself or what you will say and that's not nothing new that's something that god's word has been telling us about as we work our way through all the way through in deuteronomy verse uh, or chapter 1 verse 21 says see the lord your god has set the land before you So go up and take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now before we think, when we we consider some of these Old Testament scriptures, sometimes we think those are for somebody else, even though the Bible says all the promises of God are in Christ Jesus, yes and amen, for you and I. But let me just say this, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, in essence, all the land is before you. Go take it. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So make disciples of all nations. The whole world is yours. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Go. Deuteronomy 20, verse 3 and 4, it says, And you will say to them, Hear, o Israel, today you are drawing near for the battle against your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread for them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to give you the victory. A lot of times we work our way through the Old Testament. You have this promise from God. I'm with you and I'm going to fight for you. I want you to also be aware that sometimes the promise goes like this. I am with you. Sometimes God fights the battle, and your victory is assured. Sometimes God says, I'll be there. His eye, like it was on the sparrow, will be on us. Deuteronomy 31.6, he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you and he will not leave you or forsake you. He will not leave you or forsake you. There's not always the promise of victory and there's not always the promise that there's not going to be a persecution or pain or suffering in our life. In fact, if we work our way, as we work our way through the text this morning, we're going to see really the opposite. Jesus is saying, hey, they're going to come for you just like they came for the priests and the prophets, like they came for John the Baptist and like they're coming for me. They're going to come for you. But then what does he say? But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He wants us to be able to hold on to this reality that he's with us. In Joshua one nine, God says it a little differently. Listen. Have I not commanded you? Don't be afraid. That's not a suggestion, right? That's not a, hey, if 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 you have the time not to be afraid today. No, what did he say? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed. Why? For God's with you wherever you go. What I want us to really hold on to as we work our way through the text this morning is that God is with us. And, and sometimes God with us means we have the victory. And sometimes God with us means that we'll be able to endure the suffering. And sometimes God with us means that we'll have that hope to hold on to even when everything else is falling down. But never one time does God say, I'm not going to be there, or I don't watch, or I don't care. Which is what the enemy will lie to you about. When you find yourself in prison, just like the first-century Christians did, right? Finding themselves in prison and and you know awaiting the opportunity to walk out into the to the uh, arena with the gladiators, and the sport was going to be how many could they kill? And you know that's going to happen. And in your prayers, you're you're praying. You're saying, Lord, if if you can, deliver us. And God says, I'm going to be there with you. And you're going to endure. And the, the attitude, the heart of the believers in that time did as much to turn that world upside down while they were dying as any message anybody ever preached. Because they saw a transformation take place in a life. Somebody being utterly different, something we can't even begin to fathom or understand. Look, we all like the stories, right? Where the hero's got all these odds against him, but somehow he always overcomes. Nobody likes the one about the hero who has all these odds against him and dies anyway. But one of those stories is more realistic than the other. And not that God can't or doesn't deliver, but we all want to look to Him for our strength, for our endurance. David said in Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall i be afraid? <clears throat> the scripture says the fear of man is a snare, it's a trap, it's a trick. It's something that will cause us to stumble, fail, fall short. So we want to be able to apply what it is Jesus is saying. So so how do i practically do this? How do i how do i not fear? How do i how do i apply the ideas that God lays out for me? To not be afraid. And I think there are several things we're going to look at this morning. Hopefully, they're going to help us to do that. And the first one is to remember our accountability to God. To remember our accountability to God. Look at verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together, that they were trampling one another, He began to say to His disciples first. So, what do we see? There's a lot of people there, right? The word in Greek is myriads which is literally 10,000. But there wasn't a higher number. So if you had a huge amount of people, you would just say myriads are there. Thousands. Maybe 10,000, maybe more than 10,000. People are trampling one another, and Jesus begins to speak to his disciples. And I just want you to see, there's unruly crowds. (laughs) There's unruly crowds around him, and Jesus is going to speak to his disciples and say, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And we just talked about that last time. And one of the main issues that the Pharisees had, and sometimes one of the struggles that we have, is we think evil's out there. And while it may be, it's also in here. Jesus said, It's not what a man eats that defiles a man. He said it's what comes out of a man's heart that defiles him. What's the point? It's already there. And so we have this teaching in chapter 11 where Jesus said, if your eyes are the light, right? You use them to, to see light, to comprehend, but but inside of you is darkness, then how can you see the light? You need the light of God in you. The point what Jesus is making, is he, when he said, I am the light of the world, is we need him in us. And when I have him in me, now I have light. And the light can shine on the darkness. And when the light shines in the darkness, what happens to the darkness? It goes away, right? So we need a light of Christ in our life driving out that darkness. The hypocrisy is when you think, well, somehow by me wearing nice clothes, I've, I've really dealt with the darkness inside of me. Or somehow by me, you know, having a certain job or looking a certain way or doing a certain thing, or, you know, this, the, the, old, the same old Christian adage still exists. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I, I don't chew, or date girls who do, something like that. <laughs> and really, none of those things have anything to do with anything at all. But we have this idea of, I've cleaned, this was Pharisaical, I've cleaned the outside of the cup. So the inside's also clean. And that doesn't necessarily follow, right? The inside needs cleaned as well. Jesus would say to the Pharisees, didn't, didn't God make both, outside and inside? And I see your inside. I see what's happening in you. So he's telling his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And we always look at it, we often look at it as, as an idea of legalism and and maybe that kind of begins to filter in but really what it is is self-righteousness really what it is is the ability to see myself as somehow better than another person because of what I do or don't do now you may be better because of the light of Christ in you but the reality is the same darkness is in all of us no? no? I mean, can we understand that that person that you, you go to the park and you see off sleeping in the grass and you're, you don't really want to go talk to him or be, can you, can you recognize he's the same as you? They're the same. We're the same. We need the light of Christ in us. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, watch out for that leaven that says you're better if you tithe. You, you are somehow cleaning the inside if you do something with the outside. you guys with me? The inside gets cleansed by the light of Jesus Christ coming in there to dwell in us. That's how the inside gets cleansed. And then, the outside gets cleansed however God wants to do it. He starts shining that light, and it happens. But not the other way around. We, we don't want to fake it. That's what the Pharisees were doing. So in verse 12... He tells us what we've got to consider. Look, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 2, chapter 12. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Now just think of it in light of the Pharisees. We're talking about the 11 of the Pharisees, right? (laughs) Do we know what the Pharisees were thinking? Yeah. I don't know if the disciples do, but we know, because they wrote it. They said what they were really thinking was how they could get Jesus, how they could entrap him, how they could take him down. What is in their heart? Is it is it their ability to tithe of the mint and the and the things of their garden? Is, is that what made them holy and righteous before God? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so Jesus is saying, hey, even what you do in the dark is going to come to light. So we, for the last 2,000 years, know what the Pharisees were thinking. We know what they were whispering in the other rooms. Because God tells us. They were plotting to kill Jesus. They're plotting to take him down. This is what's going on inside of them. Now, here's the danger. We think that's just them and it doesn't affect us. What would it be like if... if uh, You know, you guys... Wonder, sometimes what I, what I like about um, football is when they mic up the players. And... And then you can hear them talking out on the field and the things they say. What happens if you get mic'd up and a mic goes with you all day? In every room. In the car. On the motorcycle when somebody cuts you off. What about if that was constantly broadcast? Now let me ask you. What's in your heart? He's saying to them, look... Stop thinking that this this evil, this darkness inside of us is just mystically dissolved because you came to church on Sunday. That darkness is dissolved by Jesus Christ being a resident in your heart. That's how it's dissolved. And if you know that's how it's dissolved, I can have compassion on somebody else because I know I didn't do anything. Right? I just came to Christ. And Christ does his work inside of me. He says, what you have whispered in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. When I want to know, hey, am I walking in the hypocrisy of the Pharisees? I just look at this scripture and say, what's it like? Look, maybe you're not wandering everywhere, Just, just maybe you're just talking about people. Maybe you just always have something to say about I don't know what it is. But Jesus says, look, I see it all. So stop pretending by what we do on the outside, by how we make ourselves look on the outside, that my inside's been dealt with, and just honestly deal with the inside. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, because the next thing you know, it's going to leaven the whole lump it will leaven it all, it will affect it all, it will affect the witness of everything. Listen to what Hebrews said. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom you must give account. Does God see it all? Yes. Every bit? Yeah. What if nobody was there? Yep, God saw it. What if it was dark? Yeah, God saw it. There's no place that we hide. All of that is known. Why do you pass judgment on your brother then? Romans 14.10 says. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you hate your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Who's the judge? Yeah, thank God it's not me. I've been wrong so many times I can't even tell you. Have you ever judged somebody wrongly? Have you ever looked at somebody and said, you know what, that's, or they're never going to, or this is just a waste. And I, I was, we had a board meeting the other day and we were talking. We've been kind of working our way through benevolence and what benevolence is going to look like at Calvary Chapel Buell. And one of the things I have to guard against is cynicism. I become a cynic when everybody's just constantly coming and asking for money. I get cynical. I get hard-hearted. And I know that that's not what God wants, right? I'm not the one to, to judge. God is the one to ju- God knows their heart. So then, so then what are, how, do, how do we practically work that out? Well, we practically work that out by having a real relationship with the Lord and His Spirit moving and working in us and being led by His Spirit. And being open to when God's Spirit says to do something and when God's Spirit says not to. And being okay with it. Because the Scripture says God knows. Romans 2.16 says, On that day when according to my gospel God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Got any secrets? They're all going to be open. All open. In 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. (coughs) Why? Because He will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. So each one will receive his commendation from God. Each one will receive his commendation. What is the point of all this thing? How does this relate back to do not be afraid? It's this way. Don't be afraid. God sees it all. And we're accountable to Him. Not man. It's a fear of man that's a snare. Fear is always about what what I'm afraid. Somebody's going to know about me. What I'm afraid about, what somebody's going to think about me. Cure number one to fear. Remember to whom you will give account. You will give account to God who has seen it all, who has known it all. And the great and blessed news is this. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, in Jude chapter 24 and 25 it says, Now unto him who is able to present you faultless before his glory. Now unto him who is able. To present you faultless. It's not because we are faultless. It is because in Christ, our sins are what? They're washed away. They're dealt with. I'm not pretending that the inside is good by doing something with the outside. What's my cure for fear? To know to who I will give account. I give an account to God. He's my judge. And Jesus Christ, He's my Judge my redeemer and my savior and he's able to purge the dark inside of me so I don't have to be afraid of it that's the only way guys the only way for that to be cleansed everything else is some form of hypocrisy play acting the next thing we want to see is we want to recognize who is it that should be feared In verse 4, I tell you, my friends, this is one of only two places in the gospel. Jesus calls his disciples friends. John 15, and right here. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. When we talk about do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of your enemies. Don't be afraid of the circumstances. Don't be afraid of what the doctor says. Or don't be afraid of uh, the things that you're facing. In, in light of all of those things, Proverbs, wisdom himself would declare. The beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of God. There's only one to whom we rightly... Ought to fear. And that's God. Why? Because He's the judge. You cannot pull the the hood over the eyes of the judge. You're not going to fool the judge. There's only one way past the judge, only one way, and that's to fall on the cornerstone, to fall on Jesus Christ and be broken. To acknowledge my darkness and He's the one who cleanses it. Lord Jesus, have me. Cleanse me. Wash me. You're my Savior. Not the things that I've done. That's what purges me so that I can stand. And I still on that day won't, I don't think I'll stand without fear. I think I'll be quaking in my boots if I have them. I don't know what it's going to be like to stand before God that moment. Just, Just that moment. But I can tell you What I think is going to be incredible about that moment is having Jesus Christ beside me with his arm around me saying you're mine. That is going to be amazing. I ought to fear God because God is the judge. If you've ever stood before a judge, when I was in the Marine Corps I was not always good. And I got to stand before a judge in the Marine Corps. By the way, that's not like a judge here. That's something to be even more afraid of. The Marine Corps could care less what the law says. Really? We've got... There's there's swamps they've still lost people in. And I'm standing before that... And I know that that guy on the other side of this desk can do whatever he wants to me. I'm his. He can do whatever he wants. In that moment, I learned what... It is to fear the judge. And as I'm standing in front of his desk, I'm guilty. It's not like I'm not guilty. In fact, all the proof of my guilt is all around us. And he brought his judgment. And I survived. Because he's not one to be feared. Because he can't do nothing to me. But there is a judge who can. And are you right with him? The beginning of wisdom. is not the end of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning. The beginning because wisdom is calling us. Come. Come to where you can be saved. Where you can be redeemed. Where your sins are forgiven. Come. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. But that's not the end. That's not the the end of the journey is eternal life. The beginning. The beginning part. Is fear. What's the, what's the way of conquering my fear on earth, my fear of my illness, my fear of my boss, my fear of my circumstances, to realize who the Bible says I should be afraid of? And unless one of those things you're fearing is God Almighty, don't be afraid. Jesus said they can't do anything to you. They can't do anything. The wisdom of God is leading us to the beginning of wisdom. He's calling us cure of fear number two is to have the fear of the Lord. It says in Psalm 116, verse 15 <clears throat> Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Here's we, we have this um, I don't know we I don't know how we get to these weird traditional things in church, church dumb. But we got this idea somewhere that. That you know, if you're right with God, He always delivers you. Has anybody ever read the Bible? Uh, Because you're not always delivered. Sometimes you die. But the thing is, since Jesus Christ, all death is is a doorway to God. All death is is a doorway to redemption. All death is is a doorway to forgiveness. All death is is a doorway to eternal life. So the point is, we don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to. When we are afraid of death and not afraid of God, not a, not a fear of the Lord, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that say? I'm more afraid of that than I am of you. Then, which one do you believe is real? Because the Word of God would say since Jesus Christ, death is a lie. You don't die, you leave here and go to His presence. You don't cease to exist. Absent from the body is. Death is a lie. But when we fear that, and we don't fear the Lord, I would say that it means I believe death is more real than God is. And there's some places we can go to for help if that's how we feel. It's important that we're honest. Don't just start scrubbing the outside of the cup. Oh no, I never felt that way. I, sometimes I'm afraid of death. Yeah? Yeah? When when I was coming down pole line fifty miles an hour and the meat truck hit me on my motorcycle, I was a little afraid of death. I seen a windshield coming at me at fifty miles an hour, saw the guy's face, and I grimaced waiting for the bones to crunch when I hit the front of the car. Hey, that's just real. I'm not gonna lie to you. I was afraid. I was afraid that that was how that was all going to go. But here's what the Word says. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Our trust in the Lord will never be misplaced. Psalm 64.1 Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from the dread of the enemy. What did David do? He prayed, God... Save me from the fear of my enemy. Help me. The hypocrisy is when we go before God and pretend that we don't have it. (laughs) Reality is when we go before God and we say, Lord, help me. I have more fear of this than you. Isn't it? Isn't that that what God wants? Doesn't Doesn't God want the the pureness of who we are, not the fakeness of who we want to try to portray ourselves to be. <clears throat> I want to overcome my fear. I have to ask the Lord. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. God is able. God is able. But there's a depth of relationship with him that we are not always in. Sometimes we have this surface deal with God like we have with acquaintances. You know, people we see at the store, we wave to, and that's all we got. Well, then you're going to be afraid and you're going to struggle because you don't have the depth of relationship with God. God. What's the key to that? Then go find it. Ask Him, Lord, help me. I want to know you more. Don't you know that that's what God longs to hear from you? What God wants to hear from you is, I want to know you more. I want to understand you. Just like, just like we wanted to hear from those whom we love. I want to know you. I want to know what makes you tick. I want to know what that look is means. When I see that look in your face, I... I want to know what that tone of voice means. I want to know everything about you. And we can hear that and we can say, man, that is exactly the the things we're looking for in a depth of relationship with a person. Why would we think less in that depth of relationship with God? I I want to know you, God. I want to know what, what that tone in your voice means. I want to know who you are, because in Hosea 6, he says, that's what I really want from my people, to want to know me and to be loyal, to want to know me. The fear of the Lord, cure number two. Next, cure number three, realize how valuable you are to God. Realize how valuable you are to him. Look at verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? But not one of them is forgotten before God. That's kind of cool. Sparrow was considered the least valuable of all animals. That's why Jesus chose the sparrow. So the least valuable of all animals, you could buy (coughs) two sparrows for a penny, five for two pennies. You guys know how that works, right? How's that work? If you if you buy more, you, they throw one in free, right? <clears throat> two for one penny, five for two pennies. There's, they're less of value, you know. Nobody's really thinking about how bad they need a sparrow, and and nor do they care all that much about sparrows. But what I love that Luke says is God's never forgotten one sparrow. He's never forgotten one sparrow. We always have this thing that we wrestle with within the church about animals and are animals in heaven or aren't they in heaven? Do they have a soul? Um, All I know is God's never forgot one of them. Not one, ever. Not one was insignificant. And this is a key that we need to understand. There is no such thing as insignificant in the eyes of God. There is no such thing. What they would have thought of as, as without value, as they look at the sparrows, what they would have thought of as something that was insignificant, Jesus is saying God's never forgot one of them. For all of human history, all of history since creation till now. I don't even care how long you want to make it. You want it to be five billion years, just makes a miracle greater. Right? So for five billion years, God has never forgot one sparrow. Not one. And if he's never forgot one of them, he has not forgotten you. That's Jesus' point. If he's never forgotten them, he hasn't forgotten you. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Right? This is where I have to make the joke, right? Some have less numbers. (laughs) Than others? The point is, every hair you ever had, insignificant? Maybe not when they're falling out. But before that, insignificant. At least for me, certainly as a guy, hair, who cares? It's something I have to deal with. Yeah? And if I don't deal with it right, somebody will tell me I didn't deal with it right. We think it's insignificant, but God numbers them. What is Jesus saying? He's he's saying that there's nothing insignificant to God. There's nothing insignificant to Him. Nothing. He even has your hair numbered. It's not insignificant to Him. So He says, Do not be afraid, you have more value than many sparrows. If God's never forgotten them, he's never forgotten you. One of my favorite lines from, from a movie ever in the history of mankind, is from The Little Rascals. And, Alfalfa says it, he looks up into the heavens and says something like, I don't want to mess it up, The clouds parted and God said, I hate you, alfalfa. (laughs) And and that used to be how I thought about life. I used to think that the things that happened in my life and the circumstances that came or went, the good luck or the bad luck or the blessing or the cursing and all that stuff was just signified the fact that God hates me. But everything, every word of scripture would deny that. Every word of scripture would say none of the events of your life were insignificant to God. None of them. That every single event of your life had a purpose. It mattered. And that was enough for me. When I was 13 years old, I was helping a campground for special needs kids. We had all kind of, mostly kids that were deformed in wheelchairs, um, uh, you know, whatever, whatever. A variety of of different kids, and basically it was a chance for them to go camping. So we'd load up a bus, and we'd haul these kids all up to, to a campground. And so it was, was me, I was 13, and one other guy and maybe five kids, and we went up to this cabin, and, we, and the whole point, the whole reason this guy did that was so that he could get other kids to come help so he could molest them when he got them up on the hill. And I remember thinking, you know, I well, I put that in a box, put a bunch of tape on it, and throw that away, right? I don't want to deal with it. And then for a long time I thought, well, what's the point of all that? What was that for? What was all that about God? And it was valuable to me and set me free from my fear to know it wasn't insignificant. That day, that night, that weekend up on the mountain, God did was was not off. He was watching. He was there. He was still on the throne. And that event in my life has meaning. Now, God didn't stop it. He didn't miraculously come down and, and make all of that go away. I made my peace with that. Because I'm, I've learned. I'm 50-something. I have to ask my wife how old I am anymore. <laughs> But I have learned in life that you don't always have victory. The the knight in shining armor doesn't always bust down the door and save you. Sometimes you go through hurts and pains that other people bring about in your life. And it's not that God doesn't love you or that God doesn't care. And he says to me, hey, when that was happening, Jackie, I was there. And it mattered to me. And I made peace with that. matters to God. One day, all of that makes sense or it don't. But one thing I know for sure, it mattered to Him. It made a difference. It wasn't a, I hate you, alfalfa moment. It was part of something that God's doing in eternity. I don't know whatever happened to any of it. I just wanted it all to go away. So it did. And years later, it brought me comfort to be able to say it mattered to God. That mattered. Those tears were significant. God saw. Go back to rule number two. God will judge. I don't have to worry about it. And I'm pretty sure. On that day, no matter what happens. God knows how to deal with it. The Bible says it is a fearful thing. To be in the hands of the living God. I want to stand there. Holding on to Jesus and acknowledge this truth. I matter to God. He's always watching me. I matter to God. He always sees. I matter to God because he will do this. He will deliver me from my fear psalm thirty four four I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I sought the Lord, and He delivered me from my fear. He didn't take away the pain he didn't take away the event, he didn't take away the moment he didn't take away. The suffering from years later, he didn't take away, all of those things. Because in God's purpose, there was a point to it all. Maybe I don't, today, I don't know how to put the strings together. I don't know how to make it make sense. I just go to Isaiah 55 and I say, God knows what he's doing, and I matter to him. God knows what he's doing, and I matter to him. So it's significant, it's not Insignificant cure of fear number three. Know that you matter to God. Know that you matter to Him. I found an interesting quote. I want to. I want to share it with you. <coughs> it says this is a conceptualization of God as one who can count what humans cannot count. So whose knowledge surpasses that of humans and whose design therefore cannot fully be understood. The point then is this sparrows can be bought and sold, and that humans can suffer persecution, but not apart from God's eyes. Not outside of God's care, and never in a way that can circumvent His redemptive plan. You matter. We matter to God. The fourth thing sets us free of our fear. It's a demonstration of our transformation. Public confession. Public confession. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. That's a pretty cool promise, right? Everyone who acknowledges me before men. Okay, let's see. Can't be an easier place to do this than right here. can This would be the easiest place. Nobody's threatening to shoot us, right? No, you, we, have, we have the freedom to acknowledge God right here before one another in a place where there's no judgment. We just care about one another. So I'm going to give you the chance this morning to acknowledge God publicly. So here's a great way to do it you want to acknowledge that you're a grateful believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then I just ask you, right now, if you would please stand up. That's what a public confession looks like. I believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And God promises this. Everyone who does that, I will acknowledge them. He says, to the angels of God. The angels, it says, are standing around looking at us. And God's right now saying to the angels, look at my kids. Look, they're standing up for me. Now you've done the easy part. We go out the door, we'll do the hard part. Amen? Okay, you can sit down. I'm almost done. (coughs) But listen to the other side. He who denies me before men will be denied of God. Proclaiming Jesus in public... Helps us overcome our fear. Wow, that's probably one of the main fears we have, isn't it? So we want to overcome that fear by what? Proclaiming publicly. Don't be afraid to pray in a restaurant. Don't be.